All right. Well, it's good to be with you. I generally always say, hey, hey, all you happy people. And uh, one of the reasons I say that most of the time I'm, I'm speaking to a group of people who are members of the body of Christ. And, uh, you, you know, in the Beatitudes, the way Matthew starts out in chapter five, uh, beginning with verses three through nine, the, the Beatitudes, uh, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. That, that, that idea is happy. Uh, and, and all through uh, verses three through nine, it starts out with happy. So, uh, yeah, you know, just, hey, hey, all you happy people. We are supposed to be happy people. We are the most blessed people uh, on the earth. And so if we're not happy, something is wrong. So uh, it's good to be with uh, the digital Bible study, connect online gospel meeting world tonight. And, uh, and, and so if you do have a Bible and you don't mind opening your Bible up with me, uh, let's look for a moment at chapter 18. Now, most of you uh, will recognize because it's at the end of, the, uh, of John here. And most of us who are familiar with the Bible know that at the end of the Gospels, that's the uh, arrest, uh, the trial. Uh, you, you've got uh, the, the scourging of Jesus. You've got ultimately uh, the condemnation. Uh, putting Christ on the cross, condemning him to die. You have the, uh, the crucifixion of Christ. Uh, and then ultimately, that's not the end of the story. Uh, praise God for that. We know that there is life after death, and Jesus proves that to us by being raised from the dead. And according to Romans chapter 1, verse 4, it was by God's mighty power that he raised Jesus from the dead. And so, you know, we, we serve, as we sing, a risen Savior. And, and we take uh, comfort in that. Our hope is in the resurrection. Our hope is, is actually in an event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our faith is built on that same premise that Jesus was the eternal Son of God because he came back to life. He was raised from the dead. He said that that would happen. He did many things by way of miracles. He proved who he was, but that was the ultimate proof in the pudding. And so resurrection uh, was a confirmation that Jesus was who he said he was. And so most of us kind of understand that from the end of most of the end of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, uh, today we're looking at John's Gospel. And so uh, it's no surprise in chapter 18 uh, that we, uh, if you have a heading over chapter 18 and in your Bibles, you'll, you'll see something to the effect of uh, betrayal or betrayal and arrest of Jesus uh, in, in Gethsemane there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, Jesus ultimately goes through three trials uh, before he is uh, condemned and put on a cross. Um, but in chapter 18, uh, we have uh, an interesting uh, chapter for sure, uh, kind of uh, consistent with the other ones, uh, no doubt. But I, I, want, I want you to think with me for a moment. Well, why do we do the things that we do? Whether it's by way of how we worship or whether it's how we live, more so how we live. Like what, what is the foundation for our uh, living the way that we do? The way that we think. What, what makes us think the way we think? You know, uh, those things matter. Uh, they, they set us on a course in life. They, you know, uh, help us to develop 
the friends and relationships that we have. Uh, they point us in a, in a specific direction. You know, there, there's this thing called the principle of the path. Um, actually, it was a book uh, written, and I'm not saying that I endorse all of the um, uh, ideas by the author, but there was a book in, with that title, The Principle of the Path, uh, written by Andy Stanley. And, and basically, everyone is on a path that, that ultimately ends in a destination. And so what, what uh, helps us to think? What, what do we have in our lives? What voices are we listen to, listening to that, that put us on the path that we're on? Um, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus's day were on a path. And a lot of it was motivated by, you know, the, the religious elite mentality, the theology from the, these religious folks. And I would say in a lot of ways, the way that they lived, they had justification for it. Now, I'm not saying that justification was right. I'm certainly not saying it was good. But like most of us, they had justification for what they were thinking, what they were doing, how they were living, the way that they were worshiping. And so I think that's important to just consider for a moment because the things that we do, good or bad, we have in some way rationalized it. We have in some ways justified it. Uh, think about it this way, and I, and I certainly... Um, don't want us to think about political ideology tonight, but the way we view certain things with politics uh, is based on a perception. It's based on an idea. We can justify voting in a specific way um, all because of the way that we think. We think it in some way fits with our worldview or in some way it fits within the parameters uh, of our uh, ethics or our morals. And, and, and that's true, not just for how we see that area, but it's true for every aspect of life, how we uh, develop our homes and the way that we raise our children. Uh, certainly that's true. These religious leaders are no different. And so uh, as we think about the idea of justifying, we'll, we'll get into this a little more. There's an interesting verse in uh, John chapter 18, and I, I want to read beginning in verse 18, uh, but the focus is, I mean, I'm sorry, I want to read beginning in verse 28, but the focus, uh, regardless of how many verses I read here, is on verse 28, okay? and I, I want you to see this. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early in the morning, but they themselves did not go in to the praetorium. Now, there was a reason that they didn't go in there. Um, the reasoning was it would have rendered them uh, unclean going into this Gentile praetorium. Uh, and so they, they themselves did not go into the praetorium lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Now, I want you to, I want you to think about the rationale here of these religious leaders for a moment. We're not going to go into this Gentile praetorium, this inner court where uh, Pilate is. We're not going to go into Pilate's courtroom, if you will, because that would be a bad thing. But the very thing that they are doing is actually a bad thing. 
I might say even a worse thing. And what's interesting is that they had in some way justifying doing this, this horrific thing in order for their religious mind to be eased. They weren't going to go in so that they could go eat the Passover. Now, the rationale here is, 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 is a crazy one for sure. Uh, but uh, notice with me, beginning in verse 29, Pilate went out to them. Now, that, that's interesting. They've got Pilate actually coming out to them. You know, if I were Pilate, this is just an interesting dynamic with his authority, with his position. He could have said, no, I'm not, I'm not coming out to you. You come in. You want something here? You come into me. But nonetheless, we see Pilate actually going out to them. What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered and said to him, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Now, first of all, is that true? So the, the mindset that they have is even uh, a false, unstable mindset. And they had nothing against Jesus, especially for being uh, an evildoer. Now, they could have said, listen, we don't agree with his teachings. You know, we have a certain perception about who he is. Um, we do not believe that he is the son of God. They could, have, they could have said a lot of things that would have been true, but that wouldn't have really made their case. And so nonetheless, here, they call Jesus an evil, evildoer, which is an outright lie, right? We wouldn't have him here if, if he wasn't deserving of death. So we're not wasting your time. Don't think we're here wasting your time, Pilate. We're not wasting your time. And so, so he says, we would, they say, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore, Jesus said to them, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to himself, now Jesus, uh, a Jew, mind you, let's think about this, who would have, now he, I don't want to get into all of this aspect, but Jesus has already taken the Passover in John 13 in the upper room. So there was a viewpoint of, of, a, of an early Passover and late Passover. Jesus obviously supported the early viewpoint of met the, the, the viewpoint of the early Passover. And, and we know that Jesus never sinned and he kept all the laws perfectly. So my, my suggestion would be that the early Passover would be the one that had a valid foundation. But nonetheless, all of the religious elite and most people were taking the late Passover, which is why Jesus in John chapter 13 has already uh, observed the Passover, but these re religious rulers have, have not observed the Passover. But to the point here, you know, I don't know if the things, I don't know that they had knowledge of the fact that Jesus had already observed the Passover in that upper room. My point would be, that, that they didn't necessarily, and that Jesus being a Jew would have had the same opportunity and rights that they had. In other words, if they would have been defiled going into the praetorium, uh, certainly Jesus would have been defiled. And, and why would they even allow that to happen? But nonetheless, that's again, part of the skewed thinking of these uh, Jewish leaders. 
then Pilate said, you, again, verse 31, you take him, you judge him according to your laws. Uh, verse 32, that the same might be fulfilled, which he spoke signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, are you speaking for yourself about this or did someone tell you this uh, concerning me? Are you interested in knowing the answer or are you just chiding me because someone told you? And so uh, in verse 35, Pilate answered, uh, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But, my, but uh, now my kingdom is not from here. That's why there's no fighting. There's no rebellion going on, right? Verse 37, Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly, for I am a king. For this cause I was born. He was the king of kings and lord of lords. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world because he has a kingdom and he is the king of that kingdom. For this cause I've come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So that tells me that these religious leaders were not of the truth because they were not listening to the voice of Jesus. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no fault in him, which was an accurate statement. But truth was standing right before Pilate. So why the title for this lesson and, and what's really the mentality for it? Well, again, we can justify our actions in many ways. The reasons we do the things that we do. The reasons that we think the way that we think. The voices that we let come into our hearts and minds. We, we can justify either it fits with our ideology, it fits with our uh, world viewpoint, it fits with some slant politically that we have. We, we can justify almost anything, just like these same religious leaders. But to me, verse 28, this is one of the most ridiculous expressions of faith in the scriptures. Now, now let me explain. Now, I'm not saying the scripture, verse 28, is ridiculous, and I'm not saying that what John is writing is ridiculous. I'm saying the faith of these religious rulers is ridiculous because how in the world could you justify in your heart and in your mind that it's okay to condemn an innocent man to death, which they knew very well he was not guilty, to condemn an innocent man to death just because you didn't agree with him, to condemn an innocent man to death, but not walk into a praetorium because you might be unclean. Did the thought ever occur to them that maybe they would be unclean for killing the Son of God? And let's just say that Jesus is not the Son of God. Let's just say that Jesus is any same old ordinary Jew just like them. Well, they weren't, they weren't ordinary. They were the religious elite. But, but let's just say he's just an average everyday Jew. The same would still be true that I'm not going to go into a praetorium, Pilate's courtroom, because I might be defiled in some way and not be able to go observe the Passover. But, but I will take an innocent man that's not guilty of what I'm saying he's guilty of being an evildoer. And I'll throw him before Pilate 
and I'll condemn him as being guilty, hoping that Pilate will do my bidding and take his life. H how do they get to that point? I mean, think about it. Which one is worse? Walking into a room so that you couldn't observe a Passover, which, by the way, I, I don't want to diminish the importance of the Levitical law, the cleanliness rules under it, and I don't want to diminish uh, what God said that they should and should not do. I, I think that that is extremely important. But the mentality of I would rather not walk into a room because I might be defiled and can't eat the Passover, but I can treat a human being the way that I want to and allow him to be uh, subjugated to horrific punishment, even death. Uh, and, and, and in some way, I can justify that. I can justify lying. I can justify coercion. I can justify, um, you name it, dot, 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 death. But I won't walk into a room that might defile me. Well, what about those other things? You see, they were so interested in their perception, their persona, their viewpoint, their position, their authority, their elitism, that they had justified in their minds that they can do with human beings what they choose, but they themselves didn't want the appearance of even soiling a garment. Would you agree that what they were doing was literally justifying themselves to death? Uh, again, uh, this is one of the most ridiculous expressions there, meaning the Pharisees' expressions of faith, their expression of faith in the scriptures. I mean, uh, again, we see that they're good at uh, with lying. They're good at bribery, corruption, murder, uh, and, and, and all of those things were embedded deep within their heart. That was a part of their lifestyle. But yet, they wouldn't walk into a praetorium, uh, pray that pray tell that they might be defiled. I mean, this 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 absolutely makes no sense. But I will tell you that every day. In this 21st century, people walking around can do the same thing. They can justify treating people with no love, beating them upside the head with the Bible, all because they feel like that they are on some moral high ground or they have some position that justifies why they are doing what they're doing. Let me tell you, it's always wrong to treat people in an unloving, unkind, unholy what that has not changed over the course of time it was evil then as in uh, john chapter 18 verse 28 and it's just as bad now now we might not be guilty of murdering someone like that they're doing with jesus here but i'll tell you what we are good at assassinating the character of another human being sometimes we're, we're even professional at that very thing the idea behind the word justify, at least as I'm using it in this lesson, um, more so it's just kind of the general concept of justification, to show or to prove to be right or reasonable or declare or make righteous in the sight of God. In other words, these religious rulers felt like that they were doing uh, what was right before God, even though it contradicted so many things. I mean, don't misunderstand the point. God never approved of lying, bribery, corruption, murder, but they had put themselves in a position, had gotten to a point and a place in life where 
they felt good about what they were doing and they were okay with it. Now I want you to think about the opposite side of the coin for a moment, maybe an, ex an opposite uh, example of this very thing. If you just flip over uh, a page in John chapter uh, 19, in John chapter 19, um, after Jesus has been uh, crucified uh, on, a cr on the cross, um, I look down close to the end of John chapter 19. I won't read a, long, a large section here, beginning in verse 38. <clears throat> I want you to notice this with me in verse uh, 38 and following. So this would be the opposite expression of faith as the one that we saw a moment ago. Again, the religious rulers would not walk into a, uh, a courtroom of Pilate because they felt in some way they would be defiled. But, but here's an example of people who are willing to be defiled because of a human being, because of a greater cause, a greater need. And beginning in verse 38, after this, Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, uh, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and he took the body of Jesus and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about 100, uh, about 100 pounds. Verse 40, then they took the body of Jesus being uh, bounded in strips of linen uh, with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Verse 41, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Uh, so they laid Jesus because of the Jews preparation day for the tomb was nearby. So let, let's just think about this for a moment. When you think about what uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus just did with the dead body of Jesus, understand that when they, when they took the dead body of Jesus, they uh, certainly gave up their right to observe the Passover. So here are a group of, uh, not, not a group, but two individuals in Nicodemus and Joseph who are willing to be defiled when they go and ask for permission from Pilate uh, to take the dead body of Jesus, prepare it properly and actually bury him. They're not going to be able to observe uh, the Passover as a result. Think about the mentality difference in Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus versus that of the Pharisees of Jesus's day. The Pharisees wanted to be religious. They wanted to eat the Passover, but they had forgotten the real heart of religion. And family, I want to ask you that. Have you and I forgotten the real heart of, of Christianity? You see, I, I choose to follow the example of Joseph uh, of Arimathea and Nicodemus. You know, in, in, in the church, we even see after the church has been established there, that there are individuals, even churches, who have forgotten this very thing, that have forgotten the very reason that they exist, forgotten the allegiance to the one to whom they gave it. They have forgotten the very purpose for why they were assembling. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 22, the Corinthian church was such a group of people. I mean, why should they have been assembling on the Lord's day? Shouldn't it have been to honor Jesus Christ? A absolutely. Shouldn't it have been because they were his body? 
Shouldn't it have been to fellowship with the Lord of, uh, of Lords and the King of Kings? Shouldn't it have been a moment where they had embraced one another as a spiritual body and family, where they were not going ahead of one another, not ignoring some, but rather enjoying the fact that we're all one at the foot of the cross? Shouldn't that have been the very reason why they were doing what they were doing? It should have been, but it was not. Listen to these verses. Now, in giving these instructions, this is Paul speaking in letter form to the Corinthians. I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first, now they should have been coming together for the better, but rather they were coming together for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. They were divided as a church. I think here, one of the things that, now there were other divisions with teachings and following people. I think here more so it's a social structural division that we see. For First of all, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. What was the reason they should have been coming? To observe the Lord's Supper, but that's not why they were coming together. Verse 21, for in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of another. That's the real problem with this whole text and with the Corinthian church was they were not waiting on one another. They had experienced this concept of religious elitism, the socially uh, and financially, economically uh, well-to-do were ignoring some of the poor members in the Corinthian church. And as a result, they had gotten their little clique or group together and they were ignoring some. And so when they were eating the Lord's Supper, some were being uh, overlooked. As a matter of fact, in this greater uh, fellowship meal that they were uh, sharing, he says, for in e- eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. One is hungry, another gets drunk. Why? Because they weren't waiting on one another. In their minds, not everyone was equal. But he says, do you not have houses to drink in? I mean, to eat and drink in? I mean, here, here's the issue. If you don't want to wait on anyone, and that's really the purpose, you can go home and do that. But he's not saying that you can go home and be a glutton or a drunkard either, because that too is against God's will and way. But he's just saying when you come together, the meal itself is not the problem. It's what you're doing and not waiting for one another that is the problem. Uh, as a matter of fact, and just just to uh, kind of since we're talking about this, let me, let me go ahead and and just uh, express to you why that is the problem. Uh, in, in the rest, the ending of chapter, First uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 11, uh, notice that one of the things he says at the end here, he says, um, therefore, in verse 33, therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat. So it's still assumed, even though he said you have houses to eat in, it's still assumed the church is going to come together to eat. He says, so when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Don't do what you're doing here in our text that we're reading. Uh, where in verse 21, they're not waiting for one another. In, in verse 22, what do you not have houses to eat in or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. So again, while it might not be murdering an individual like the Pharisees are doing it with Jesus, it is a similar counterpart uh, in, in the respects that what we have going on is people who are neglecting uh, needs, but they had justified in their hearts 
that uh, not waiting on these individuals, neglecting their needs, getting drunk, filling their bellies full of food, that in some way that they were being religious. Again, justifying themselves to death. They have forgotten why they were there. And as a result, the, the whole church at Corinth was a mess. This was a, a, a big problem uh, for a lot of the sin difficulties that they had in 1 Corinthians. Uh, I, just, just also to make a quick note, in Ephesians, I mean, I'm sorry, in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, the church at Ephesus had very much in the same way forgotten why they were there. They had forgotten the love that had made them who they are, and they had forgotten about their love and commitment to that one that loved them so much. They had left their first love. And so the words from uh, the apostle were to return to their first love. Why? Because they had justified the whole purpose for doing what they were doing, but it was an improper, unbiblical justification. <clears throat> so how do people get to this point? Uh, number one, they get to this point by being blinded by hatred. Some people hate so much that, that their hatred is the only thing they can see. That was certainly what was true in John 18 of the Pharisees. Uh, again, in John chapter 11, um, you might remember after uh, Jesus, uh, well, let, let's, just, let's just read John chapter 11, beginning with verse 45. And many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and Pharisees gathered a council and said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. There was no discrediting what Jesus, I mean, the people were eyewitnesses of what he was doing, the miracles and signs. Even the religious rulers acknowledged that. Verse 48, if we let him alone like this, Everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. One of them, Caiaphas, being a high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not uh, that the whole nation should perish. So they're starting to believe in their, in their uh, mindset, again, in their justification, Look, it's better for this guy to die than for Pilate to come or the Romans to come and take away our position in our nation. So let's just sacrifice him for the greater good of our nation. In verse 51, uh, now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, which he had no clue what he was saying, but certainly was true. Verse 52, and not uh, for that nation only, but also for he who would gather together and one, the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to uh, a city called Ephraim. Uh, and there remained with his disciples. And the Passover of the Jews was near. And many uh, from that country went up to Jerusalem before the Passover. So this precedes uh, a lot of what we were talking about in, in John 18. Then they sought... Uh, they sought Jesus and spoke, spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think that he will not come to the feast? They were, hope, they were wondering, would he just stay away or would he come? Verse 15, now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it to them that they might seize him. Their hatred for him had blinded them to everything about the truth. Blinded them to the point that, listen, even the high priest was 
prophesying a truth about Jesus, but didn't know that, that he was actually following a plan laid down by God. They, they were justifying the evil and the hatred in their heart, wanting to put him to death. Some people can only see hatred. I, I came across this story, let me, let me share it with you, that kind of expresses the hatred that people uh, have in their heart. Uh, it was written uh, in 1935 uh, by a man named Mr. Donahoe. And here, here's what Mr. Donahoe wrote. It says, unto my two daughters, Francis Marie and Denise Victoria, by reason of their irreverent attitude toward a doting father, I leave the sum of $1 to each and a father's curse. May their lives be fraught with misery, unhappiness, and, and poignant sorrow. May their deaths be soon and of lingering, malignant, and torturous nature. I mean, that last line, think about that. He, he, he wanted their deaths to be lingering, awful, and torturous. These were his daughters. He went on to say, may their souls rest in hell and suffer the torments of uh, the condemned for all eternity. I mean, what causes an individual to get to that point in life? regardless of, it, of the fact that it was written in 1935, I think some would write it even in 2021. The reason is because we develop so much hatred in our hearts that we cannot see what's right and good and just and holy. We can only see the hatred. And, and, and as religious people, at times we even justify our hatred, don't we? I love the story uh, by H.E. Uh, Fosdick. Here's what he tells. He says, a man who hates to be slapped on the back packs his coat with TNT. And he waits for this man who always slaps his back. His idea is that when he hits, hits me, I'll get him. I'll blow him up. Hate kills both the person whom you hate but also yourself as well. Hating people is like burning down your own house to get rid of a rat. And I think there's a lot of people who, who are like that. And again, that's not the heart of what Jesus wants us to be. In Matthew chapter five, beginning with verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause is, shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and remember that there your brother has something against you, leave your gift, therefore, before the altar and go, go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly. While you're on your way with him, lest your adversary deliver you over to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into the prison, uh, thrown into prison. And therefore I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. We're blinded by anger, aren't we? Number two, we're bound by tradition. I mean, a lot of this was uh, bound in the tradition of uh, the religious elite of that day. In Matthew chapter 15, verses seven through nine, based on this concept of 
this religious elitism and their tradition. Here's what Jesus says, and he quotes the Old Testament prophets, uh, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you saying these people draw near to me with their mouth? They, and that's where the, the uh, Pharisees thought that they were right next to God. They draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They had justified putting an individual to death in the hands of the Romans. In verse 9, and in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrine, the commandments of men. This was according to their tradition. Some, some traditions are not bad. Some traditions are held on so long we don't even know why that we do them. And why the, and the impact that they have on our religious uh, activities before individuals. As a matter of fact, there's a story uh, about a holy man living in a remote area of China. And every day before uh, his time or period of meditation, he would put up a, a, a dish of butter uh, on a windowsill as an offering to God. During, during this particular time, they were so poor and uh, food was so scarce that this man wanted to offer something to God. And that was the only thing he had. And so he would, uh, he would put out that, uh, that uh, butter on the dish. Uh, as it came time for his period of prayer and, and devotion and scripture reading and, and so on and so forth. But one day his cat came in and ate the butter, ate what he was setting aside for God. And of course, as a result, it, it certainly aggravated him. And so every day at this time, uh, for when he would put out his butter on the dish as a time for his devotion and as offering, he would tie up his cat to his bedpost because he didn't want his cat eating uh, what he was setting aside for God. He had such a reverence and piety for God uh, that, that he wanted this to be a sacred time, whether we agree with it or not. And so this man was so revered for his piety that others joined him as his disciples and they worshiped very much in the same way that he did. Generations later, long after this holy man was dead. His followers placed an offering of butter on a windowsill during their time of prayer and meditation and, and, and uh, scripture reading. Furthermore, each one bought a cat and tied it to the bedpost. Now, these people had no idea why they were doing what they were doing. They were just following the tradition of what they had seen before them. Very much in the same way that these religious leaders during Jesus' day had set up these standards, and not only were they following in them, but there were many followers that they had that were also following them and didn't really know why that they were doing what they were doing. Jesus certainly tells them in, in John uh, chapter 11, you know, <clears throat> follow, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Matthew's gospel, uh, he tells them, in chapter 11, beginning with verses 28 through 30, he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Not, not learn from a, a tradition. Jesus says, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So again, they were bound by tradition. They were blinded by uh, their hatred, but they were bound to their tradition. And again, tradition is uh, the living faith of those that are dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of those who are still dead. And again, 
this idea of being uh, bound by tradition is one of the reasons that they are justifying themselves to death because as a result, they had no idea, those religious leaders, about what the one to whom they were doing this to and what it would, the impact that it would have on them personally. You, you remember when uh, Pilate walks out and he says, uh, you know, do you want Jesus? And they say, yeah. And they said, let his blood be on us and our children. They had no idea what they were saying. Pilate symbolically washes his hands before them. In other words, I'm not guilty of this man's blood. You are. And as a result, they would suffer by God for their decision to justify themselves to death. And that's exactly what it would be, death for them. But number three, uh, that, that's kind of the idea. They were blocked by God. The one who mattered the most, that is God, the religious elites said. What mattered was what did God say? In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall heaven, but he who does in heaven. In Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 29 through 30, for to everyone who has, who has, more will be given. <clears throat> and he will have an abundance from him who does not have. Even what he has will be taken away and, ca and, and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I will tell you, that is the faith that these religious elites met. In Matthew 25, verse, 40, verse 46, and these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. What were these religious elites doing? They were justifying themselves to death. Instead of following the word of God, finding their justification in God's word and his will and his way alone, they had their own mentality. They had their own way of thinking about people. They had their own perception, their own worldview. And as a result, it ultimately killed them. Now, what's the spin, the takeaway for you and me? We go back through these points, living in a 21st century, looking out at society. Are we, are we uh, blinded by hatred? I would say many are today. Are we bound by our traditional views that aren't based in scripture? And even some of the traditional views that Christians have, it's based on a political viewpoint and not a biblical one. It, the way that they see is through political glasses and lenses and not scriptural uh, eyes and, and glasses and lenses. And again, are we going to ultimately, because of that, be blocked by God? I mean, I will tell you that if we feel like we're doing good and neglecting the needs of people and not helping those who are in need and not sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, loving sinners to help them to get out of sin and come to truth, if we're doing that, we will be. We will be blessed by God if we're following his will and way. If we're not doing that and if we're justifying our actions, why we can hate someone, why we can give up on someone, then we too will be rejected by God. Let's always seek the heart of Jesus in everything that we do. And let's always serve with the heart of Jesus in everything that we do. I, I hope in some small way that this lesson has 
been an encouragement to you. I hope that uh, you will continue to be encouraged and edified in these night, nightly uh, meeting places uh, here uh, on the platform of the Connect Online Gospel Meeting uh, Digital Bible Study, and that you will be blessed by the good work uh, of, of what they're doing and getting the gospel out. And I hope just tonight, this little moment uh, in history will be a, a small blessing to you. Uh, again, I appreciate Jonathan. I hope Eric still uh, enjoys his, I hope he has a great time and is enjoying his vacation. But I'm very appreciative uh, to Jonathan for, Jonathan for allowing me to be a part of such a special thing. I hope you continue to have a, a great evening. And I encourage you the rest of this week and the rest of your life, be happy and shine bright.